Finding Happy, Seven Steps to Relationships That Will Not Steal Your Joy is the new book by me, Nikita Banks, a licensed psychotherapist and life strategist. Leverage the knowledge you'll receive in this book to help you with the process of obtaining absolute clarity through the use of guided self-exploration. This process is necessary to help you master all your relationships in 2019 and beyond. Go on Amazon.com or BlackTherapistPodcast.com and grab your copy of the book guaranteed to help you redesign all your relationships based on two basic principles, health and happiness. Get your copy today. Welcome to the Black Therapist Podcast. The Black Therapist Podcast is the podcast where we discuss the unique issues people of color face when dealing with mental health issues and mental health diagnosis. Now, if you are new to our show, I am your host, author, life strategist, and psychotherapist, Nikita Banks, in private practice in my hometown of Brooklyn, New York. I am available for both psychotherapy and coaching sessions, and you can find more information about that on my website, NikitaBanks.com. You can listen to our podcast everywhere podcasts are found, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, YouTube, SoundCloud, Pippa, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and BlackTherapistPodcast.com. If you are a mental health advocate or therapist and you want to buy our podcast merchandise, you can do so by visiting our site. And if you want access to our free mental health tips, free online trainings, discounted selective services, and resources, do so by joining our mailing list by texting "get happy" all one word to six six eight six six. If you love the podcast, please like, comment, and share. We love to hear from you. And if you want to send me some feedback, guest suggestions, or simply to say hey, you can contact us at our website, BlackTherapistPodcast.com. Please be mindful that this episode and all of the information that we provide here is just a resource and a tool to help get you started on your mental health journey. If you are feeling any mental health distress or you are having any significant issues, please feel free to reach out to us so that we can find you a mental health provider in your area. Okay, let's go. Hey guys. Oh, as we wind down the days on 2019 and the the decade that... Um, We'll end with it. I just wanted to jump on and just say, hey, I wasn't sure that I was going to do a show this week, but so much has gone on. I just wanted to jump in and be like, what's up (laughs) for the holidays? I am preparing to wind down my office for the year, so which has not really been all that fun. A lot of people that owe me money just because of my own, you know, inability to like put out my invoices in time and do some of my administrative tasks that I've been trying to do because you know as people know I do this show I have a consulting job I also work in private practice and I do other things as well so it's just kind of been a project of mine to be able to maintain a schedule and get the things that I need to get done in a timely fashion. And um, it's a it's a work in progress, but I'm learning and determined to master it because my success is necessary. <laughs> it's, it, it's necessary for me to be able to do that thing. So um, what's up? Oh, I again want to shout out everybody that... Ooh, contributed to our 
seventh annual toy drive. And I think of the last two shows that I've talking about this this toy drive. I've been like, what did we? I've been doing this for four or five years or six years, but Facebook memory reminded me that I started doing this seven years ago, and we were able to get so many toys for every single child that was in the shelter. We got good toys, name brand toys, things that they actually might like and enjoy. And um, I shouted out everybody who donated on last week's show. And we were still getting toys coming in, but it was like the same people were just buying more and more things. I called everybody who I knew who had I had their phone numbers to call, and then there were people that I didn't know, so I couldn't call them. But if you donated and supported to our toy drive this year, I just want you guys to know that the money that I saved by not having to buy the toys myself, I ended up buying toiletries and, like, pampered kits for the parents. So there were two gentlemen who were in domestic violence relationships I assume or were domestic violence victims and they were in the shelter so I was like what the hell do I buy guys but I was able to find some things that hopefully they will enjoy come Christmas day or whenever the shelter gives them to them and how I do do this stuff is usually we get the gifts uh the shelter gives me a head count of sex and age and the age range of the kids so when I picked those toys on the list I just try to pick them by the age ranges that I knew we usually buy for every year and then they give me an actual count so uh, we were able to give everybody at least one one toy and we had you know more than enough stuff for them but I was like okay now I have to get some things for the parents because there was not a lot of stuff for me to buy left and so I wanted to stay within my particular budget and shout out to everybody who supported us and said that they would do so going forward. I really appreciate that because I've been doing this for the past, you know, two years by myself without asking for any donations, without making it a big stink, without telling people that I was really doing it. And people were like, girl, why didn't you mention it? Well, I just didn't. <laughs> I didn't think about mentioning it. So I, so I didn't. So, yeah, so that that was that. And I'm really glad, grateful and glad that people were actually able to come on and uh, support us in that effort and shout out to my family members who who donated a lot of times I do the things that I do and my family has no idea um I think I may I may have said when I won the award in congress my aunt this year my aunt actually came and she was like I thought just the stuff that you were talking about or the things that you were doing I didn't know that they were real because you just you'll mention it and then you'll kind of move on to it and I'm like yeah well doesn't it make sense for me to continue to tell people what I'm doing or what I'm into or what I like to do or what my interests are or where I'm placing my time and my effort and my energies if y'all don't support me so there's no need for me to even say you know because after a while it just kind of feels like bragging but, um, you know, I was really grateful and touched that my family members were able to support me in this effort. So I want to give a shout out to my family members who bought toys for the the uh, toy drive. You guys know who you are. And if you did not donate this year to the toy drive again, you'll have a chance to do it next year, hopefully, because um, I, I plan on continuing to do this. But I also don't know how long I'm going to 
be in New York for the future. So there's that. I'm not making any plans to move, but I also don't know how long I will stay here either. So that's a, you know, TBD. Okay. Uh, I really wasn't going to really do a show. It's just being really, really reflective on what the holidays mean to me. It's been a really emotional time of the year, as it usually is. I really get a joy out of doing the toy drives and taking it to the shelter and making sure that the kids have a really great time. And my baby is old enough now. I say that like he's a baby, but my grown man is old enough now that buying him Christmas gifts and that excitement of waiting till Christmas morning and open up opening up the gifts and seeing his face when he gets whatever he asked for or whatever he wanted or whatever I was excited to buy uh yeah that's past that's 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 gone now um but I'm happy now that he'll be working I'll get some of that excitement when I get my gifts (laughs) because I'm expecting gifts and I'm expecting big gifts. So, yeah, you know, I, I really hope that everybody is, is taking the time and the effort to spend time with your friends, families, and loved ones throughout this holiday season. For me, being in New York during Christmas is magical. I, I like New York basically two times a year, which is around Christmas time, because there's Macy's 34th Street. Shout out to Black Santa that's there. And, um, you know, all of the lights on Fifth Avenue, it's really beautiful. The Rockefeller tree, center tree. And, um, I love being here in the summertime just because we have so many out, well, we had, things are changing, but we had so many outdoor cultural events that happened during the summer that made New York amazing during the summer. But Instagram and Facebook throughout the holidays has kind of been bringing me down I've been seeing a lot of posts about child sex abuse I've been seeing a lot of a lot of posts about domestic violence people dreading going home for the holidays that anxiety has really come up in my office with the clients that I see and so there was an article that was going around the internet and I hate to take issue with stuff I kind of agree with but there was an article that I've seen and I saved and I feel like I could talk about a little bit today. There was a show, I mean, I'm sorry, it was an article written in Medium called Generational Choices Break Generational Curses. Okay. For some reason, that's not the, that's not the, that makes sense to me. Maybe I read it a different way. Generational Choices Break Generational Curses. Why did I take issue with, with this? Maybe, you know, sometimes, sometimes your brain reads something that, or, or sometimes we misconstrue what people are saying. And so, I don't know, for some reason, when I read this article and I saved it and then I was like, I'm going to go back to it later, I felt as if there was a negative connotation to what the person was saying, but I also didn't know whether or not the author was black or white. And I see she's a black woman. Um, So the subheading is the real curse is believing we are powerless to break these familiar patterns. And so if you want to go in medium and Google, 
the article again is called generational choices break generational curses the real curse is believing we are powerless to break familiar patterns and i feel like it's a really good time to talk about generational curses i feel like i talk about it a lot on the show but i think it's a great time to talk about this as we are going home for the holidays and the the religious aspect of generational curses and this idea that we cannot break the cycles of poverty and violence and shame and dysfunction that we have in our families is kind of a narrative that a lot of us have but i think that i think by the time that you start doing your own personal work that you recognize that we all have free will and free choice and i think that the, what that article does is a high it highlights that that we have the choice to make another choice um she talks about their biblical texts that sounds crazy but she roots the article in biblical text. So she refers to Exodus 34, 7, and says, uh, I think it's, uh, she, she writes in the article, and I quote, visiting the inequity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation, right? And so from there, that's the passage derived the notion of generational curses, the concept of pathological dysfunction as spiritual punishment. Um, you know, she just talks about the cyclical nature of unhealthy fa- family pathologies, poor health, financial illiteracy, illiteracy, sexual violence, poverty as transmissible in for misfortunes and that's that's the term that she used and then she talks about how much personal dysfunction is compounded by our decisions as opposed to shaped by our ancestry how many of us hide behind the guise of inherited issues to dodge the responsibility of having to resolve them probably quite a few of us i think what number one i misquoted in my mind what the the uh title of the article was i don't know i i kind of took offense to it in a way and it's weird because i am also the same person that has said on this show several different times that I don't like the term generational curses because it makes it seem like a curse is something that you have absolutely nothing to you can fight against right like it's something that is just preordained and I think I I really believe that she and I have the same exact feelings about this but I think my issue with the article and I, I wish people read it um and I'll post it on Black Therapist Podcast's Facebook page so you guys know what the hell I'm talking about when uh, the show comes out. But, no, dog. Um, but I think the problem with the article is that it doesn't... It's, it's speaking from a, a biblical perspective. And if the sins of the father 
is visited on the sons. This this is the scripture that I, I know when it comes to generational curses. According to the article, it says that generational curses are brought up four times in the Bible. It's possible. I only know that one reference. But um, I think from a clinical perspective, me looking at the article and me looking at generational curses, I think it's twofold. So there are clients that I deal with and that I speak to who have family histories of schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. And I'm, I find myself a lot of the time counseling people, especially between the ages of, of 18 and 24, to not use any kind of drugs. A lot of people use marijuana to um, treat anxiety or end depression sometimes, right? But if you've listened to the show before, you know that I've referenced why you should not use weed to treat either one of those things. And especially this weed that we <laughs> that we have on the market now is really, really high in THC. And if your brain chemistry is already, and your family history is already predisposed to schizophrenia, paranoia, auditory hallucinations, uh, visual hallucinations, delusions, and you put a chemical on top of a growing brain. You may, you, you may be playing Russian roulette with your mind. And I remember growing up, there was people who, you know, I'm going to, I'm using air quotes, but you can't see them bugged out off of PCP or PCP mixed with weed or weed mixed with crap or whatever it, it was. And then they just have never were the same. Right now we're seeing the same things happen based off of, you know, a family genetic history of mental illness and external factors so yes, if your father or mother or uncle or auntie or somebody is schizophrenic, your own responsibility or your own actions would be that you might not want to smoke marijuana because your brain is predisposed. But what if you're adopted? What if you don't know that? So I, I think I never want to take away. And I think that the article is basically giving us the power to change our future and the autonomy I'm sorry the autonomy to change our future and make impactful future decisions that go completely against who we are and who our family is in terms of family history and past generational patterns, whether those be, those would be positive or whether those are, are negative things, right? We all have the autonomy to make and free will to make our own decisions. And if there's something in our family history that we know is bad, we can make decisions that are for the better. But that takes in account that number one, we understand that it's a family pattern. And number two, that there's a better option and number three, that we actually have the free will and the choice. Number four, that we have the skill set 
in order to break those curses. And number five, that we have the support. So I had no idea that I was living a generational pattern in my family until I actually looked at my family history. I didn't recognize that. I mean, I knew that my mother was a teenage mother and I became a mother after being a teen, right? And I knew my grandmother was a teenage mother. Actually, I didn't know. I, I didn't find out my grandmother was a teenage mother until I was an adult. And I didn't find out that my great-grandmother was a teenage mother until I was an adult. And I didn't find out that my great-grandmother was a teenage mother until I was an adult. I just knew as my mother told me, I don't want you to be a teenage mother like me. That was a pattern that I was willing to break, right? But even me having a teenage mom, we didn't have a bad life. I didn't know that I, I, I wasn't aware of the effects of poverty or us not having a lot of money had because I didn't feel like that. I, didn't, I never felt like we didn't have enough money. We always had food. We always had nice places to live. I've always had my own room until my brother came. Oh. And then that, that was a year we, I shared a room with my sister for a whole year and that was hell in a handbasket. So it wasn't until I had something else to, to compare it to, did I recognize, Hey, I've always had my own stuff. My mother always made sure that we didn't have to share. She always made sure that if one person with one kid had, we both had identical things. Like, well, I've never had to share anything with anybody in my whole entire life except for my kid. And I don't like, I don't, I don't share with him to this day. If I buy my chocolates or my sweets in my house, he already know. If you want it, you can eat anything up in this house. But if, if you see my stuff, if you know there's Reese's peanut butter cup in here, you better ask. And if he asks me, well, I think two, twice and three and four times, and sometimes I have to be like, girl, go on and buy you a new Reese's peanut butter cup and get that kid that chocolate. Share the chocolate. But I never recognized until there was something to compare to when my brother was born and we had to share a room. Did I get it? And we fought the whole time. I was like, I don't even sleep. I I think I slept in my brother's room more than my brother slept in his own room because he slept in my mother's bed, bedroom when he was like one and two years old. And I was like, why he need his own room, please? So anyway, um... You know, you you need to know your family history in order to know the cycle. A lot of us are repeating generational curses because we don't even know our family history. We're not privy to the information. Too many black people keep secrets in the families. We don't tell each other what's going on. I, I know now because of what I do for a living that there is a personality type that runs rampant in the women in my family. And I can't say for the men only because I don't know what the men in my family look like above my uncles. My grandfather on my mother's side died when I was really, really young. And when I, when I do generational curses, I'm usually looking at my, my mom's side. I'm not really looking at my dad's side, but when it comes to family history stuff in terms of like, um, genetic predispositions, I'm looking at dad's side because my father has a lot of wonky stuff when it comes to them, the mental health history over there that I now know 
of because of what I do for a living. I didn't know my father had a personality disorder. I didn't know that, you know, my brother was mentally ill. I didn't know that my cousin was mentally ill. It wasn't until I did this job that I recognized that that's what that was because black people didn't talk. We don't talk about that. We don't say, Oh, you know, so-and-so is, is crazy. You might know he homeless. You might know that they, you know, are promiscuous or fast. You don't know that that's a symptom of bipolar disorder or that the person has a gambling issue or that the person has impulse control issues or that they beat in a wife. And you don't know that that's, a symptom of, you know, narcissistic personality disorder or, um, you know, paranoid ideations or any of these things. Like we don't, we don't have the proper information to make a diagnostic, I mean, family diagnostic or family history pathology in order to even know that what we're dealing with is a sickness. And that's the first step. So I think that that's why this article rubbed me the wrong way, right? And then she, the, the next part of the article says, but how much of our personal dysfunction is compounded by our decisions as opposed to shaped by our ancestry? Well, baby girl, if your mama was a drunk and or your grandmother was a drunk and your mother was a crackhead and then you drink wine more than you like to and you smoke weed you just think that you're doing one step better than the other you don't know that the reason that you're doing that is because psychologically your grandmother lacked the skills to teach your mother to teach you how to deal with unpleasant emotions or how to properly heal trauma or how to properly address the issues that they faced in life and dealing dealing with life on life's terms and being able to navigate that successfully. A lot of us don't even have the the proper information that we need to make better decisions because of the decisions that we've seen other people make. It's a skill set. Making good choices and making good decisions is a skill set. You have to see somebody do it. You have to have somebody be able to teach you how to regulate your emotions and to be able to teach you how to have consequential thinking and have have teach you how to think through an action at every step and evaluate the pluses and the negatives of the consequences. If you aren't taught those things, how how can you possibly make good decisions? And how much of our personal dysfunction is compounded by our decisions as opposed to shaped by our ancestry? Okay, so y'all's white president got um, impeached this week, right? But if we look at the history and the choices of the decisions that this man has made over and over and over and over and over and over in his life, his decisions... It was his ancestry that saved him. The fact that his father kept saving him and bailing him out and not uh, not allowing his, his failures to define him. He failed into being the president. So did George Herbert. No, not Herbert Walker. What's the other one? What is H? Okay. Herbert Walker's a daddy. So did W? What the hell is George W. Bush's? And I'm I'm not a, I'm not I'm not bashing the this is not a Republican Democrat thing. Although, you know, whatever. I'm just being nosy. 
what the hell does the W stand for in Bush? Is it Walker? It is George Walker. Okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> George Bush, he was a C student. He failed. He went, he went bankrupt. He was not all that smart, but he ended up being the president because his daddy saved him. So sometimes your ancestry doesn't have to be a negative thing. And I'm not saying that it is a negative thing, but for a lot of us, it, it, it is the thing that the things that we do not know that cause us to make the the worst decisions. And so many of us do not feel like we have choices. So I think in that, I agree with the author that you do have choices to make a different choice, but you need to know what the options are. If both of the options seem bad and if, if either one of your choices or both of your choices is like between a rock and a hard place, you like, I'm damned if I do, I'm damned if I don't. Let me just do what feels good. Let me make the decision that that is going to expend the least amount of emotional energy or the least amount of emotional consequences to this decision because it's going to hurt either way. If both of your choices are bad ones, then you're not thinking about anything else. A lot of the times we struggle and I will use myself. A lot of the times I struggled with making bad decisions was just because I didn't have the proper proper information. And the end result, the positive end result seemed so far fetched and so far away from me that I couldn't see making an investment in it now. Like the concept of like being pregnant for 10 months to have a baby is just like something I'm, I'm. I'm an instant gratification kind of girl. And so is the majority of human beings. And so if it's something that I really have to invest years and months and days and bit into, I was like, I ain't, ain't going to do it. But the secret for me was you going to live anyway. If you can make the investment today that your life will be better in five years and they're small incremental investments. Why would you not make them today? But if today you don't know if you're going to live tomorrow or if today things really look so bad and depressing problems and the issues that you have need resolution today. I need to pay my light bill today. I need to pay my rent today. I need food in my mouth today. I'm homeless today. Then you can't think five years in the future. And so I think that, I think that we have to not think of issues and problems as a spiritual failure. And we can't think of these issues and problems or generational curses that are perpetuated between our, in ourselves and in our lives and in our families as a moral failure. And we cannot think of this as us not having favor. I hate that that idea of, oh, I got God's favor. I mean, you may have God's favor, but we all have God's favor. We all, all have the opportunity to have God's favor and to be, be on the good side of, of the Lord. And I don't want to be religious, but, you know, I talked about two things that they say you ain't supposed to talk about religion and politics already. But, you know, I... I we have to start looking at it as a resource issue and as an information issue and as a support issue and, and being able to, this is a resilience issue. Resilience theory states 
that the predetermining factor of success or overcoming adversity is exposure to somebody and something that will support you making the right choices in the right ways. Uh, Michael Harriet wrote a really good article of The Root about how when he went to school as a young black guy in the inner city, it was the drug dealers on the corner who took up a collection plate who sent him to college and they would send him off the corner and they wouldn't allow him. Like when I grew up in a time where, you know, for friends of mine, um, it's not my personal story, but I know guys who have that personal story where they was getting out uh, and they was in the streets and they was in trouble and they had an option to go this way or that way. And it was the dudes on the corner that was like, yo, you're not about this life. Take your ass to school. Then them dudes hustled to pay that pay for that guy to go to college because maybe he would come back and be a lawyer and maybe he would come back and be a doctor or maybe he would turn himself into somebody. But we've we've kind of become a cannibalistic society where if you see somebody who may be able to make it, you'll take him out before you could you support them. And so where 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 does the responsibility of the community become a thing as opposed to the eye. I maybe that's why this article this article um rubbed me the wrong way. It it feels very selfish to me. I make it's Christmas and I guess, you know, I couldn't have done the toy drive without people. I mean, that's not true. I did do the toy drive without people the last two years, but it was really hard for me to do it by myself. And it was isolating to do it by myself. And it cost me money and took money out of my household and my business for me to do it by myself. But for me, it was a sense of, it gave me a sense of community and knowing that I was going to be able to bless at least 20, 30 families and 50, 60 kids. And so I did it because I felt like it was my communal responsibility to do it. I do the job that I do because I feel like it's my communal responsibility to do it. I think this, the idea of self-preservation versus family in this, in the season, it's kind of rubbing me the wrong way. I don't know, you guys, um, read the article. Tell me what you think about it. If there are some generational curses in your family that you feel like you need to fix, if there are some pattern, habits, I said patterns, habits, patterns, and cycles in your family that you see, be aware. Awareness is the first step to breaking any kind of bad habit. Generational curses are just habits. But in order to break them, you need to have the proper skills and resources and reach out, reach out reach out and also when you get healthy and when you start healing reach back there's there's a whole mindset that that has to change and a shift that has to come in order for you to take people with you but as long as you start the conversation that's all you can do and love them through wherever they are in the process that's all that you can do i know that i can't heal my family i don't even try per se, but I look at me being healthy and me being well and me doing, doing well and me giving back and me loving and me being a good person 
as my testimony of the work that I've done in my family and the work that I've done in my own life. And hopefully they see through my happiness and through the fact that I'm healthy and the fact that my family is doing well and I'm, I'm successful relatively. Um, <laughs> depends on how you define that, but I'm six. I'm, I think I'm pretty successful from where I came from. And as I told a girlfriend of mine recently, who we'll talk about in a second, um, I'm definitely a thousand percent from where I want to be because my aspirations are so big, but I'm a thousand percent away from where I used to be. And some days that's all you can, you can think about. So if there's some curses or some cycles or some habits in your family that you would like to break, allow yourself the option in, in, in 2020 and beyond to seek the help that you need to get the skills that you need. Okay. And anyway, we can be a resource over here. Just holla and let me know any way that we can support you in, in finding a therapist. Also, let me know. Uh, cause we're on social, you know, I'm not always on social. Like I'm not always there, but you could reach me, send me an email. I answer all of my emails. I check my email at least once or two, two times a day on a day that I'm, I'm not super busy, but there's that. Okay. Little update. So a few months ago, oh, well, it feels like a few months ago now. It may have been a year ago because I recognized that I hadn't spoken to my friend in a year ago. So a while back, I did a show called when it's time to end a friendship. And I just discussed why I was no longer friends, although I loved my friend with a friend of mine. And I remember saying at the time, well, big pause. But I remember saying at the time, I need a friend to be a friend when I need a friend. And I feel like the end of the bargain that I was looking for in the friendship and what I needed to be given as a friend and being selfish in that moment, I wasn't getting. And the, the friendship that I was, I felt like I was reciprocating, whether that's real or imagined, right? Cause it may be real. It may not. It may be that she had a different opinion of what I was given than what I thought I was given. And so, um, I broke down and I called her over the holiday because I missed her and I hate being that one to break down and call somebody. So I'm usually always the one. I mean, I'm a Libra. So if I love you, I love you. If I don't, I don't, you will know either way. And so I never really look at it like, Oh damn, I don't want to be a sucker to call her, but I don't know. It was real anxiety for me to call her this time. And a friend of mine, we spoke Thanksgiving and we, you know, we both are friends with her and she kind of didn't speak to her throughout the same time we wasn't speaking and, you know, come to find out she wasn't really speaking to anybody. But um, we had a conversation and I was really proud of myself for not allowing the distance or the space or the hurt or the disappointment that I felt at her inability to show up for me in the way that I needed her to show up for me for at that time and creating space for how I felt about her not being the type of friend that I needed when I needed that friend and also creating a, a space for understanding that she had the absolute right to be selfish in that moment 
to not be able to be the friend that I needed in that moment because there were things that she was going through in her life and she needed to heal. And it wasn't as if I didn't know that in the moment. I knew what she was going through. I knew what struggles she had. I knew what challenges, some of them. I didn't know everything. And I, I, I probably don't know everything now. And it's okay if I don't know everything. It's not my business to know everything. We're not all, we, we don't always have access to, and we always, we don't always, we shouldn't always. I'm getting tongue-tied, guys. We shouldn't always have access to everyone else's thoughts and feelings at any given moment because that ain't none of our business. But I did know that she was going through some things and the things that I did know, and there were a lot of lot more things that I don't know and I will never know, and that's okay. But I know in that moment, the selfish part of me who needed my friend to be who my friend used to be to me needed to mourn that. And I needed to, I needed to ask myself if who we were growing into becoming could lead us to have a brand new friendship. And the good news is when we spoke on the phone, it was literally like no time had passed, but it was such an emotionally mature conversation And I got to tell her that I did miss her and I missed our friendship. And she got to tell me the same things. And I don't want to push her into rekindling anything because I understand that she's rebuilding life in some places. And I'm really proud of the advancements that she's made in the year that we haven't spoken to each other. But I do also know because I've lost so many people this year and we're losing people all the time and we're losing daylight and days And there ain't that many shopping days left to Christmas, literally, but there ain't that many shopping days left to till the end of life, (laughs) Um, actually, metaphorically. And so I really don't want to allow stubbornness and uh, bullshit to stop me from speaking to somebody who I love and who uh, have heart fond memories and that I care for. So if I don't speak to her for another few months, even though she said she'd call me, that's fine. If she does, she does. If she doesn't, she doesn't. If I want to speak to her, I will call her. But I think for me, the sad part of it is knowing that I have to mourn what the friendship used to be and allow space for something new to grow in its place. And to be honest, I don't know if I'm willing to give up the friendship we had yet. And I don't know if I am fearful of what the new friendship will look like. But I just know that right now it felt really good for me to be able to speak to my friend throughout the holiday and to hear that she she loved me and that she missed me and that I loved her and I missed her. And yeah. So I just want to update you guys. If you don't know what the hell I'm talking about, you can go back and listen to the old episode of the the episode where I talk about when it's time to end a friendship. And so I'm pretty sure in on that episode, I said I didn't end it. It was on pause and that I knew I'd probably speak to her again. But, you know, I, I just don't. Life is so precious and it's so short that I didn't want to let another day go by and not at least reach out because for all I knew she had changed her number so 
the year's almost over. Christmas is upon us. Holidays, Hanukkah, uh, Kwanzaa, all of the above, whatever it is that you and your family celebrates this holiday season. And for 2020 and beyond, I just want you guys to have health and wealth and happiness and love and do whatever you need to do to invest in those things this year. And I look forward to supporting you and thank you guys for supporting us. This has been the best year ever in terms of the podcast and our growth and what we have going on. And I cannot wait to see what 2020 has in store for us. And yeah, that's it. So I look forward to to speaking to you guys again soon. And yeah, that's all. Be well. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of Black Therapist Podcast. Once again, you can follow us on all our social media sites at Black Therapist Podcast on Instagram and on Twitter, as well as Black in Therapy on Facebook. Or you can follow your host, me, Miss M-S-N-I-K-I Banks on Instagram and Twitter, as well as you can find out any information about me at Nikita, N-I-K-I-T-A, Banks.com and on the show's website, BlackTherapist podcast.com and don't forget if you want to send us any general feedback show suggestions uh show topics or guest ideas please feel free to drop us an email at blacktherapistpodcast at gmail.com thank you be well